Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Here's a new episode with some rambling from me at the beginning and then a great little short story by British author Roald Dahl. This podcast is supported by sponsors and the sponsor for this episode is italki. With italki, it's now easier than ever to find personal teachers to give you tailored English lessons or just native English speakers for regular conversations. This is an excellent way to get proper speaking practice into your life and it's very flexible because all the lessons are done on Skype so you can have your English lessons wherever you want, whenever you want. Pick your teacher, schedule some lessons, improve your English and you'll find the process to be professional and very good quality. And remember, italki are offering all of my listeners, that's you, uh, a free lesson. Go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. Right then, so here's the new episode. As I said, there's a bit of rambling from me at the beginning, which goes on a little bit longer than I expected because I kept being interrupted by my daughter, as you can hear if you listen. But these things happen when you're attempting to squeeze podcasting into your everyday life. Uh, But keep listening, though. Keep listening because the story in this episode is a really good one. Right then. okay. so here is the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, 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 good people of Luke's English Podcast. Welcome to another new episode. Here we go. Uh, It's been a little while since the last one. Uh, Summer is over. Everyone's going back to their jobs and their normal lives. Suntans are fading fast. The days are getting shorter. The leaves are turning brown. It's back to reality. I hope you had a good summer. I had a nice time. Thank you. We went to a few different holiday destinations in France and it was very nice. Got lots of sunshine, ate lots of nice food. I'm now sitting in the living room and uh, my baby daughter is sort of sitting next to me. She's kind of on the floor in her little seat thing, wide awake and currently staring at me as if to say, Dad, what what are you doing? I'm doing an episode of the podcast, okay? You can carry on just messing around with the stuff you were messing around with. She might make some noise during the episode. I hope that won't be too disruptive. Um, we will see. Anyway, I hope that you had a good summer, if indeed it has been summer in the part of the world where you live. Uh, as I said to you, in June or July, my podcast uploading was quite inconsistent over the summer. I didn't manage to post as many episodes as normal. That's because I had quite a busy time going away on holiday to different places and also looking after our daughter, who was not in daycare because daycare was closed during August. Uh, so I didn't get to publish as many episodes as I normally would do. In fact, uh, her daycare Still hasn't started again, so I'm being a stay-at-home dad this week, looking after 
her during the daytime, and this means that it's a bit difficult to record and upload episodes of the podcast. Uh, the baby, and she is still a baby, even though she kind of stands up now. She, she, when she's in her cot, she will climb up, um, sort of using the cot to, to balance herself, and she'll climb up, and then she'll stand there in the cot with her hands on the top and her little face poking over the top, and if you're not in the room, she'll cry and maybe throw a toy on the ground or something. And so naturally we come in and then there she is standing there with her little cheeky face peeping over the top and she'll start smiling. And it's very cute indeed. She's adorable and cute and developing fast all the time. But anyway, so she is still a baby, though, I think technically. Technically. Anyway, um, she tends to demand all your attention when you're looking after her, whether it be playing, feeding, cleaning, changing, bathing, or all manner of other things. Uh, It's hard to do anything else when I'm the only one looking after her. I'm recording this sort of, I don't know, uh, as maybe as an experiment to see if to see if she will require my attention or not while I'm doing it. I don't know if you heard that. She might contribute certain little comments and things. She's not speaking yet. She just sort of makes these very cute noises. Anyway, so I'm looking after her this week. Uh, My wife has got some very important work-related deadlines which she has to attend to. So I'm looking after the little one. And what this means is that I still can't get fully back into my podcast rhythm. That will happen probably mid-next week when daycare starts again properly and I have time to work on episodes of both Luke's English Podcast and uh, LEP Premium. And by the way, LEP Premium is going well. There are now about 14 episodes, including audio and video content with PDFs. If you want to sign up to LEP Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. The premium episodes are where I really focus on language, helping you to improve your grammar, vocabulary and pronunciation. In normal episodes of the podcast, I do lots of other things. Obviously, it's all in English. It's your regular listening practice. Sometimes I'm explaining language. Sometimes I'm just explaining topics or all sorts of other things. But the real language-focused episodes are in um, the premium package. So I've got lots of plans for new episodes coming up. But they all require some time and also probably silence in the background. They're the sorts of episodes where I need to focus myself on them completely. Um, But I wanted to upload something fairly quickly uh, this week so that, um, you know, I get so that you get some podcast action on your phone or on your computer or something. So I wanted to upload something fairly quickly and simply in this episode. So I've decided to read you a short story written by Roald Dahl, who is one of the UK's favourite authors. Do you know Roald Dahl? Uh, now, this doesn't take much preparation from me, so it's pretty easy to do. A bit of noise in the background. Roald Dahl is most famous for his children's stories, like, for example, the BFG, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory... James and the Giant Peach, George's Marvellous Medicine. They're all written by uh, Roald Dahl. Um, But he's also famous for some short stories that he wrote for adults. Um, I grew up reading his children's books, but then also took an interest in the books of short stories too when I'd grown up a bit. So I've always enjoyed Roald Dahl's work. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, I think he's probably pretty famous around the world. Certainly uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a well-known story. So I'd like to recommend uh, his books of short stories for you to read. Not the children's stuff, although you could read that too because that's really good. 
but uh, the short stories he wrote for adults. If you're looking for something to read in English, and um, I think you should always have an English book on the go, I think it's it's vital for your English progress. If you're looking for something to read in English, then um, Roald Dahl's books of short stories could be great. Roald Dahl is spelt R-O-A-L-D. D-A-H-L. Okay, so um, here are some reasons why I think Roald Dahl is so great for your reading and for your English. First of all, the stories are short. His books of short stories, each story is sometimes just a few pages long. So they're short stories, which is less demanding, it's less intimidating. If you're reading a book in English, it can be difficult. But if you're reading short stories, it's easier to achieve, you know, it's easier to get to the end. So you feel uh, a sense of accomplishment more easily. Uh, you can finish each one. So yay, that's good. Also, they're just very well written. They're, there's lots of descriptive language describing the people and the events in the stories. And it's all done in just good, plain English that's easy to read and is modern in style. It's the sort of English that you that you should be looking for. Uh, and also, they're just great little stories. They're interesting and entertaining stories, full of curiosities, mystery, strange things, funny things, and stuff like that. So, you could get any of Roald Dahl's books of short stories, but a good recommendation from me would be the the Complete Short Stories, Volume One and Volume Two by Roald Dahl. Okay, the Complete Short Stories, Volume One and Volume Two by Roald Dahl. Uh, those books should be available from all good uh, bookshops, including Amazon. So there you go. If you're looking for some good stuff, some appropriate stuff to read in English, check out The Complete Short Stories, Volume 1 and Volume 2 by Roald Dahl. So I highly recommend that you check out his work. It could be great for your English. Uh, Roald Dahl's work is also available as audiobooks, which you could check out using audible.com. Remember that they still sponsor my podcast. And if you use my link, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial, which includes a free download of any audiobook you like. And if you don't like the surface, surface? No. If you don't like the service after your 30-day trial, even after you've downloaded a book free, if you don't like the service, you can cancel your subscription, you can keep the audiobook. So it's basically a free audiobook. And you could down you could download some Roald Dahl stuff. It could be good for you to listen to. Um, audibletrial.com slash teacher luke audibletrial.com slash teacher luke or click an audible logo on my website that's right isn't it you're not going to speak now you're only going to speak when i speak is it she's looking at me with this little cheeky look on her face as if to say what noise can i make now how can i interrupt this episode of luke's english podcast sorry She sounds a bit bored, I'll be honest. I think I'm going to have to go and entertain her for a moment. So anyway, audibletrial.com slash teacherluke. Check it out. You could get a Roald Dahl book, and many of them are read by great British actors that you might know. So now then, in this episode, I'm going to read out one of Roald Dahl's short stories. And uh, this one is called The Hitchhiker. This one always sticks in my mind because I read it when I was a teenager. One of the things that always stuck in my mind was the descriptive language, the way that he described, for example, the car that he drives and the people he meets. Those descriptions have always uh, really stuck with me. And it's one of the reasons I'm sure his stories are great for learning English. It's quite simple, really. What I'm going to do is just read the story to you. And you can check out the story by following the link on my website. You can read it there. Or if you have a copy of uh, his book, you can read it with me. This one is called The Hitchhiker, and it appears in volume two of The Complete Short Stories. By the way, a hitchhiker 
is someone who waits by the side of the road and hopes to get a lift from someone. They don't have a car or money for a bus or train, so they stand by the side of the road and stick out their thumb for some reason. Like, stick your thumb out and hope someone will stop and take them where they want to go. That's a hitchhiker. So I've just paused the podcast because I had to keep uh, my daughter entertained for a moment. Hello, darling. Do you want to speak to uh, the Lepsters? Have you got anything to say? To the people of the world? Come on. Coo, 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 coo. Didn't say anything. She's just smiling and, and attempting to grab the microphone out of my hand right now. <sighs> Go on. Don't say don't grab the microphone. Uh. How about this? <whistles> you like that toy, don't you? Tickle tickle tickle. No, she doesn't want to talk to me now. She's only happy to talk while I'm talking to you. Obviously. What? Dada? Yes, that's me. What is it? Don't grab the microphone. She's basically in, at this stage in her development, she's all about grabbing things (laughs) and climbing things, right? She likes grabbing things and climbing things and that's pretty much it. Uh, what, one of the things she does is I'll, I'll pass her something like a little toy and she'll smile and get excited and throw it on the floor and then I have to pick it up and give it to her and then she throws it on the floor again and I pick it up and give it. You know, it's like little simple games like that. Anyway, let's see if I can carry on here. So, The Hitchhiker by Roald Dahl. I think you know what a hitchhiker is. I don't know if you've ever hitchhiked. Uh, I've done it a couple of times. It felt a little bit risky, to be honest. Because you don't know who's gonna, whose car you're going to get into. You don't know what's going to happen. These days, I probably wouldn't do it. It feels a little bit dangerous. But anyway, here is the story called The Hitchhiker. It's only a few pages long. Just a couple of things. Here, here are some things I like about the story or things that you should look out for. Okay? Uh, now, if I was doing this in an English language class, I'd probably set various specific questions and stuff. That was a noise which suggests that she maybe needs something. Hold on, I'm going to pause the podcast. I'm really sorry about all these interruptions, but, you know, I'm just trying to do what I can. This is why I chose this episode, I mean, this this story, because it doesn't require much preparation for me beyond just this introduction. And, yeah, so I'm sorry about the fact that uh, this is being interrupted. Uh, She's now, I've put her in her little cot, which is being used as a playpen. And she's got various little toys and things in there. So she should keep herself entertained in there for a while. She might make a few noises. She'll probably climb up and poke her head over the top and, and call out to me and things. But we'll see. I might have to... Uh, yeah, I might have to play with her a little bit. Anyway, I apologise for the interruptions. So here are some things that you should look out for. If I was doing this in an English language classroom, I'd set questions. But since this is the podcast, it's meant to be just an enjoyable, relaxing listening experience, certainly this episode. Here are just some things that you can look out for, okay, while listening to the story. So look out for the various descriptions of the high-performance car that he's driving. Um, And the car was very modern for when the story was written. These days, this kind of car is a bit old-fashioned, but um, when the story was written, probably in the 80s, I think, this car was very modern with electric uh, windows and stuff. And just listen to the way he describes uh, the, the way the car looks, the electric windows, the sunroof, the automatic radio aerial, 
the sounds of the engine, the responsiveness of the steering and the brakes. For me, for some reason, this is all part of the the imagery that he's using to paint a certain picture. He's driving a car and just listen to the way he describes the way the car moves and responds. Um, he doesn't just drive at 70 miles per hour. In this story, he whispers along. To whisper is, you know, to speak kind of quietly like that. So you can imagine this is a really high-performance car that when you're driving 70 miles an hour, the engine hardly makes any noise. So he whispers along. He doesn't just slow down. He touches the brakes, which tells you that this, you know, this car is so responsive, you just need to touch the brakes, and that will allow you to slow down. So listen to the way he describes the car. Listen to the way he describes the hitchhiker, the person who he picks up. Listen to the way he sort of describes the person's appearance, comparing him to a rat. The guy looks a bit like a rat, which kind of gives you this image of the, the hitchhiker. Uh, listen to the des- descriptions and uh, of the appearance and manner of the police officer. Uh, the, the, the mystery surrounding the hitchhiker. The way the hitchhiker's job is described in rather exciting and glamorous ways, even though in reality it's not that much of an uh, of a glamorous or exciting job and li- listen out for the little twist at the end of the story okay so that's that's it let's now start reading through the hitchhiker by roll Dahl. hopefully without too many interruptions from uh the little girl who's now staring at me holding a red cup and a little shaker in her hand i might take the shaker away but that would be cruel wouldn't it to deprive this little girl of her fun little noisy toy. I think we're just going to carry on and, and see how we get on. Okay, it's later on now, and my daughter's asleep, so we shouldn't get any interruptions. So let's let's start the story then. So this is it, The Hitchhiker by Roald Dahl. I had a new car. It was an exciting toy, a big BMW 3.3 Li, which means 3.3 litre, long wheelbase, fuel injection. It had a top speed of 129 miles per hour and terrific acceleration. The body was pale blue, the seats inside were darker blue, and they were made of leather, genuine soft leather of the finest quality. The windows were electrically operated, and so was the sunroof. The radio aerial popped up when I switched on the radio and disappeared when I switched it off. The powerful engine growled and grunted impatiently at slow speeds, but at 60 miles an hour, the growling stopped and the motor began to purr with pleasure. I was driving up to London by myself. It was a lovely June day. They were haymaking in the fields and there were buttercups along both sides of the road. I was whispering along at 70 miles per hour, leaning back comfortably in my seat, with no more than a couple of fingers resting lightly on the wheel to keep her steady. Ahead of me, I saw a man thumbing a lift. I touched the brake and brought the car to a stop beside him. I always stopped for hitchhikers. I knew just how it used to feel to be standing on the side of a country road watching the cars go by. I hated the drivers for pretending they didn't see me, especially the ones in big cars with three empty seats. The large, expensive cars seldom stopped. It was always the smaller ones that offered you a lift, or the rusty old ones, or the the ones that were already crammed full of children, and the driver would say, I think we can squeeze in one more. 
the hitchhiker poked his head through the open window and said, Going to London, Governor? Yes, I said. Jump in. He got in and I drove on. He was a small, ratty-faced man with grey teeth. His eyes were dark and quick and clever, like a rat's eyes, and his ears were slightly pointed at the top. He had a cloth cap on his head, and he was wearing a greyish-coloured jacket with enormous pockets. The grey jacket, together with the quick eyes and the pointed ears, made him look more than anything like some sort of huge human rat. What part of London are you headed for? I asked him. I'm going right through London and out the other side, he said. I'm going to Epsom for the races. It's Derby Day today. So it is, I said. I wish I were going with you. I love betting on horses. I never bet on horses, he said. I don't even watch them run. That's a stupid, silly business. Then why do you go? I asked. He didn't seem to like that question. His little ratty face went absolutely blank and he sat there staring straight ahead at the road, saying nothing. I expect you help to work the betting machines or something like that, I said. That's even sillier, he answered. There's no fun working them lousy machines and selling tickets to mugs. Any fool could do that. There was a long silence. I decided not to question him any more. I remembered how irritated I used to get in my hitchhiking years when drivers kept asking me questions. Where are you going? Why are you going there? What's your job? Are you married? Do you have a girlfriend? What's her name? How old are you? And so forth and so forth. I used to hate it. I'm sorry, I said. It's none of my business what you do. The trouble is I'm a writer and most writers are terribly nosy. You write books, he asked. Yes, I said. Writing books is okay, he said. It's what I call a skilled trade. I'm in a skilled trade too. The folks I despise is them what spend all their lives doing crummy old routine jobs with no skill in them at all. You know what I mean? Yes, I said. The secret of life, he said, is to become very, very good at something that's very hard to do. Like you. Exactly. You and me both. Well, what what makes you think I'm any good at my job, I asked. There's an awful lot of bad writers around. Well, you wouldn't be driving around in a car like this if you weren't no good at it, he answered. It must have cost a tidy packet, this little job. Well, it wasn't cheap. What can she do flat out? He asked. 129 miles an hour, I told him. I bet she won't do it. I I bet she will. All car makers is liars, he said. You can buy any car you like and it'll never do what the makers say it will do in the ads. This one will, I said. Well, go on, open her up then and prove it, he said. Go on, governor, open her right up and let's see what she'll do. There's a traffic circle at Chalfont St. Peter and immediately beyond it, there's a long, straight section of divided highway. We came out of the circle onto the highway and I pressed my foot hard down on the accelerator. The big car leapt forward as though she'd been stung. In 10 seconds or so, we were doing 90. Lovely, he cried. Beautiful. Keep going. I had the accelerator jammed right down against the floor and I held it there. 100, he shouted. 105, 110, 115. Go on, don't slack off. I was in the outside lane and we flashed past several cars as though they were standing still. A green Mini, a big cream-coloured Citroen, a white Land Rover, a huge truck with a container in the back, an orange-coloured Volkswagen minibus. 120, 
my passenger shouted, jumping up and down. Go on, go on, get her up to 129. At that moment, I heard the scream of a police siren. It was so loud that it seemed to be right inside the car, and then a cop on a motorcycle loomed up alongside us on the inside lane and went past us and raised a hand for us to stop. Oh, my sainted aunt, I said. That's torn it. The cop must have been doing about 130 when he passed us, and he took plenty of time slowing down. Finally, he pulled to the side of the road, and I pulled in behind him. I didn't know police motorcycles could go as fast as that, I said rather lamely. Well, that one can, my passenger said. It's the same make as yours. It's a BMW R90S. Fastest bike on the road. That's what they're using nowadays. The cop got off his motorcycle and leaned to the machine sideways onto its prop stand. Then he took off his gloves and placed them carefully on the seat. He was in no hurry now. He had us where he wanted us, and he knew it. This is real trouble, I said. I don't like this one little bit. Don't talk to him more than is necessary, you understand? My companion said. Just sit tight and keep mum. Don't say anything. Like an executioner approaching his victim, the cop came strolling slowly towards us. He was a big meaty man with a belly and his blue trousers were skin tight around his enormous thighs. His goggles were pulled up onto the helmet, showing a smouldering red face with wide cheeks. We sat there like guilty schoolboys waiting for him to arrive. Watch out for this man, my passenger whispered. He looks mean as the devil. The cop came around to my open window and placed one meaty hand on the, on the window sill. What's the hurry? he said. Uh, no hurry, officer, I answered. Perhaps there's a, a woman in the back having a baby and you're rushing her to hospital, is that it? Uh, no, officer. Or perhaps your house is on fire and you're dashing home to rescue the family from upstairs. His voice was dangerously soft and mocking. Um, my, my house isn't on fire, officer. Um, in that case, he said, you've got yourself into a nasty mess, haven't you? Do you know what the speed limit is in this country? Seventy, I said. And do you mind telling me exactly what speed you were doing just now? I shrugged and, and didn't say anything. When he spoke next, he raised his voice so loud that I jumped. One hundred and twenty miles per hour, he barked. That's fifty miles an hour over the limit. He turned his head and spat a big gob of spit. It landed on the wing of my car and started sliding down over my beautiful blue paint. Then he turned back again and stared hard at my passenger. And who are you? he asked sharply. He's a hitchhiker, I said. I'm giving him a lift. I didn't ask you, he said. I asked him. Have I done something wrong? my passenger asked. His voice was soft and oily as hair cream. Have I done something wrong, officer? That's more than likely, the cop answered. Anyway, you're a witness. I'll deal with you in a minute. Driver's licence, he snapped, holding out his hand. I gave him my driver's licence. He unbuttoned the left-hand breast pocket of his tunic and brought out the dreaded book of tickets. Carefully, he copied the name and address from my licence. Then he gave it back to me. He strolled around to the front of the car and read the number from the licence plate and wrote that down as well. He filled in the date, the time and the details of my offence. Then he tore out the top copy of the ticket, 
But before handing it to me, he checked that all the information had come through clearly on his own carbon copy. Finally, he replaced the book in his breast pocket and fastened the button. Now you, he said to my passenger, and he walked around to the other side of the car. From the other breast pocket, he produced a small black notebook. Name, he snapped. Michael Fish, my passenger said. Address, 14 Windsor Lane, Luton. Show me something to, to prove this is your real name and address, the policeman said. My passenger fished in his pockets and came out with a driver's license of his own. The policeman checked the name and address and handed it back to him. What's your job? he asked. Uh, I'm an odd carrier. A what? An odd carrier. Spell it. H-O-D-C-A. That'll do, that'll do. Okay, and what's a hod carrier, may I ask? Well, an odd carrier, officer, is a person who carries the cement up the ladder to the bricklayer. And the odd is what he carries it in. It's got a long handle, and on the top, you've got bits of wood set at an angle. All right, all right. Who's your employer? Don't have one. I'm unemployed. The cop wrote all this down in the black notebook. Then he returned the book to its pocket and did up the button. When I get back to the station, I'm going to do a little checking up on you, he said to my passenger. Me? What have I done wrong? The rat-faced man asked. I don't like your face, that's all, the cop said. And we might just have a picture of it somewhere in our files. He strolled round the car and returned to my window. I suppose you know that you're in serious trouble, he said to me. Yes, officer. You won't be driving this fancy car of yours again for a very long time, not after we've finished with you. You won't be driving any car again, come to that, for several years. And a good thing too, I hope they lock you up for a spell into the bargain. What, you mean prison? I asked, alarmed. Absolutely, he said, smacking his lips. In the clink, behind bars, along with all the other criminals who break the law, and a hefty fine into the bargain. Nobody will be more pleased about that than me. I'll see you in court, both of you. You'll be getting a summons to appear. He turned away and walked over to his motorcycle. He flipped the prop stand back into position with his boot and swung his leg over the saddle. Then he kicked the starter and roared off up the road out of sight. Phew, I gasped. That's done it. We was caught, my passenger said. We was caught good and proper. I was caught, you mean, I said. That's right, he said. What are you going to do now, Governor? I'm going to go straight to London to talk to my solicitor, I said. I started the car and drove on. You know, you mustn't believe what he said to you about going to prison, my passenger said. They don't put nobody in the clink just for speeding. Are you sure of that, I asked. I'm positive, he answered. They can take your licence away. They can give you a whopping big fine, but that'll be the end of it. I felt tremendously relieved. By the way, I said, what, why did you lie to him? Oh, me, he said. What makes you think I lied? Well, you told him that you were an unemployed hod carrier. But you told me that you were in a highly skilled trade. So I am, he said. But it don't pay to tell everything to a copper. So what do you do? I asked him. Ah, he said slyly. Now that'll be telling, wouldn't it? Is that something you're ashamed of? I said. Ashamed? He cried. Me? Ashamed of my job? Well, I'm about as proud of it as anyone could be in the entire world. 
Well, then why don't you tell me what it is? You writers really is nosy Parkers, aren't you? He said. And you ain't going to be happy, I don't think, until you've found out exactly what the answer is. I don't really care one way or the other, I told him, lying. He gave me a crafty little ratty look out of the sides of his eyes. I think you do care, he said. I can see it on your face that you think I'm in some kind of very particular trade and you're just aching to know what it is. I didn't like the way he read my thoughts. I kept quiet and stared at the road ahead. You'd be right too, he said. I am in a very particular trade. I'm in the queerest particular trade of them all. I waited for him to go on. That's why I has to be extra careful who I'm talking to, you see. How am I to know, for instance, that you're not another copper in plain clothes? Do I look like a copper? No, he said, you don't. And you ain't. Any fool could tell that. He took from his pocket a tin of tobacco and a packet of cigarette papers and started to roll a cigarette. I was watching him out of the corner of one eye. And the speed with which he performed this rather difficult operation was incredible. The cigarette was rolled and ready in about five seconds. He ran his tongue along the edge of the paper, stuck it down and popped the cigarette between his lips. Then, as if from nowhere, a lighter appeared in his hand. The lighter flamed, the cigarette was lit, the lighter disappeared. It was altogether a remarkable performance. I've never seen anyone roll a cigarette as fast as that, I said. Ah, he said, taking a deep suck of smoke. So you noticed? Of course I noticed. It was quite fantastic. He sat back and smiled. It pleased him very much that I'd noticed how quickly he could roll a cigarette. You want to know what makes me able to do it? He asked. Go on then, I said. It's because I've got fantastic fingers. These fingers are mine, he said, holding up both hands high in front of him, are quicker and cleverer than the fingers of the best piano player in the world. What, are you a piano player? Don't be daft, he said. Do I look like a piano player? I glanced at his fingers. They were so beautifully shaped, so slim and long and elegant. They didn't seem to belong to the rest of him at all. They looked more like the fingers of a brain surgeon or a watchmaker. My job he went on, is a hundred times more difficult than playing the piano. Any twerp can learn to do that. There's titchy little kids learning to play the piano in almost any house you go into these days. That's right, ain't ain't it? Uh, More or less, I said. Of course it's right. But there's not one person in 10 million who can learn to do what I do. Not one in 10 million. How about that? Well, it's amazing, I said. You're damn right it's amazing, he said. "Uh, I think I know what you do, I said. You do conjuring tricks, don't you? Like magic. You're a conjurer. Me? (laughs) He snorted. A conjurer? Can you picture me going round crummy kids' parties, making rabbits come out the top of hats? Well, then, you're a card player. You get people into card games, and you deal yourself marvellous hands. You're like a card shark. Me? A rotten card sharper? He cried. That's a miserable racket, if ever there was one. All right, all right, I give up, I said. I was taking the car along slowly now, at no more than 40 miles an hour, to make quite sure I wasn't stopped again. We'd come onto the main London-Oxford road, and we were running down the hill towards Denham. Suddenly, my passenger was holding up a black leather belt in his hand. Ever seen this before? he asked. The belt had a brass buckle 
of unusual design. Hey, I said, that's mine, isn't it? It is mine. Where did you get it? He grinned and waved the belt gently from side to side. Where do you think I got it? He said, off the top of your trousers, of course. I reached down and felt for my belt. It was gone. You mean you took it off me while we've been driving along? I asked, flabbergasted. He nodded, watching me all the time with those little black ratty eyes. But that's impossible, I said. You'd have had to undo the buckle and slide the whole thing out through the loops all the way round. I would have seen you doing it. And even if I hadn't seen you, I would have felt it. Ah, but you didn't, did you? He said, triumphant. He dropped the belt onto his lap. And now, all at once, there was a brown shoelace dangling from his fingers. What about this then? he exclaimed, waving the shoelace. Well, what about it? I said. Anyone around here missing a shoelace? he asked, grinning. I glanced down at my shoes. The lace of one of them was missing. Good grief, I said. How did you do that? I never saw you bending down. You never saw nothing, he said proudly. You never even saw we move an inch. You know why? Yes, I said, because you've got fantastic fingers. Exactly right, he said. You catch on pretty quick, don't you? He sat back and sucked away at his homemade cigarette, blowing the smoke out in a thin stream against the windshield. He knew he'd impressed me greatly with those two tricks, and this made him feel very happy. Don't want to be late, he said. Well, what time is it? There's a clock in front of you, uh, I told him. I don't trust car clocks, he said. What does your watch say? I hitched up my sleeve to look at the watch on my wrist. It wasn't there. I looked at the man, and he looked back at me, grinning. So you've taken that too, I said. He held out his hand, and there was my watch lying in his palm. Nice bit of stuff, this, he said. Superior quality. 18 karat gold. Easy to sell, too. It's never any trouble getting rid of quality goods. Well, I'd like it back if you don't mind, I said rather huffily. He placed the watch carefully on the leather tray in front of him. I wouldn't nick anything from you, governor, he said. You're my pal. You're giving me a lift. Well, I'm glad to hear it, I said. All I'm doing is answering your question, he went on. You asked me what I did for a living and I'm showing you. What else have you got of mine? I said to him. He smiled again. And now he started to take from the pocket of his jacket one thing after another that belonged to me. My driver's licence, a key ring with four keys on it, some pound notes, a few coins, a letter from my publishers, my diary, a stubby old pencil, a cigarette lighter, and last of all, a beautiful old sapphire ring with pearls around it belonging to my wife. I was taking the ring up to a jeweller in London because one of the pearls was missing. Now there's another lovely piece of goods, he said, turning the ring over in his fingers. That's 18th century, if I'm not mistaken, from the reign of King George III. You're right, I said, impressed. You're absolutely right. He put the ring on the leather tray with the other items. So you're a pickpocket, I said. I don't like that word, he answered. It's a coarse, vulgar word. Pickpockets is coarse and vulgar people who only do easy little amateur jobs. They lift money from blind old ladies. Well, what do you call yourself then? Me? I'm a fingersmith. I'm a professional fingersmith. 
He spoke the words solemnly and proudly, as though he were telling me that he was the President of the Royal College of Surgeons or the Archbishop of Canterbury. I've never heard that word before, I said. Did you invent it? Of course I didn't invent it, he replied. It's the name given to them who's risen to the very top of the profession. You've heard of goldsmiths and a silversmith, for instance. They're experts with gold and silver. Well, I'm an expert with my fingers, so I'm a fingersmith. Must be an interesting job, I said. It's a marvellous job, he answered. It's lovely. And that's why you go to the races, I said. Race meetings is easy meat, he said. You just stand around after the race, watching for the lucky ones to queue up and draw their money. And when you see someone collecting a big bundle of notes, he simply follows after him and helps yourself. But don't get me wrong, Governor. I never takes nothing from a loser, nor from poor people neither. I only go after them as can afford it, the winners and the rich. Well, that's certainly very thoughtful of you, I said. How often do you get caught? Caught? He cried, disgusted. Me? Get caught? It's only pickpockets that get caught. Fingersmiths? Never. Listen, I could take the false teeth out of your mouth if I wanted to, and you wouldn't even catch me. Well, I don't have false teeth, I said. I know you don't, he answered. Otherwise, I'd have had them out long ago. I believed him. Those long, slim fingers of his seemed to be able to do anything. We drove on for a while without talking. That policeman's going to check up on you pretty thoroughly, I said. Doesn't that worry you a little bit? Nobody's checking up on me, he said. Of course they are. He's got your name and address written down most carefully in his black book. The man gave me another of his sly, ratty little smiles. Ah, he said, so he has. But I'll bet he ain't got it all written down in his memory as well. I've never known a copper yet with a decent memory. Some of them can't even remember their own names. What's memory got to do with it? I asked. It's written down in his book, isn't it? Yes, Governor, it is. But the trouble is, he's lost the book. He's lost both books. The one with my name in it and the one with yours. In the long, delicate fingers of his right hand, the man was holding up in triumph the two books he'd taken from the policeman's pockets. Easiest job I've ever done, he announced proudly. I nearly swerved the car into a milk truck. I was so excited. That copper's got nothing on either of us now, he said. You're a genius, I cried. He's got no names, no addresses, no car number, no nothing, he said. You're brilliant. I think you better pull off this main road as soon as possible, he said. Then we better build a little bonfire and burn these books. You're a fantastic fellow, I exclaimed. Thank you, Governor, he said. It's always nice to be appreciated. So there you go. That was The Hitchhiker by Roald Dahl. And it's true, isn't it? It is always nice to be appreciated. Don't uh, forget that you can go onto the website for the page for this episode, and there's a link which you can click, and it'll take you to a PDF of that story. And let me just sort of suggest again uh, that you get yourself a copy of The Complete Short Stories, Volume 1 and 2, by Roald Dahl, because the whole book, both of those books, are just full of little nice stories like that, and it would be really good practice to read regularly in English, that kind of thing. Don't you agree? Yes, I think so. On the subject of it, it always being nice to be appreciated, I would just like to say to anyone who's written me a message recently, just to say thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you very much for your message. 
anyone who has uh, got in touch and um, if, I've, if I haven't replied to you, then I'm sorry. I try and reply to as many messages as I can. Sometimes they slip through. So if I haven't replied, then I'm very sorry. But I do appreciate you getting in touch with me and your comments. If you've written comments on the website lately, nice one. And if you have sent donations to help support the podcast, then thank you very, very much indeed. It is very nice to be appreciated. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that story. Uh, I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. There'll be more uh, content coming your way. I've got, you know, I've been planning stuff. I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, when I can't record because of all the reasons I gave earlier, I do write. I find time to write things down, write my ideas down, develop my ideas and things. So I've got some stuff coming soon, which hopefully you will enjoy. And of course, episodes of Luke's English Podcast Premium uh, too. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.